Welcome. And that was a great song to open up with. And this is for our special show today, Dare to be Different. Uh, I have Ellen Goldfarb with me and my co-host, Spencer Drake. Welcome to Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio, special edition of the Indie Cafe. And uh, it's Friday, guys, and this is a great way to start the weekend. We're going to be talking today to Ellen Goldfarb who's the creator and director of uh, the Dare to be Different um, documentary really about WLIR, which is a radio station, which was kind of like where they really got the music out there. And uh, this is a very close and near and dear, I'm sure, project to Ellen from what I've read. And uh, I'm going to be bringing her in and we're going to be talking about this amazing documentary, which is available, by the way, was on Showtime and quite a few other places. And I'm going to let her tell you a little bit more about it, but the soundtrack to it is fantastic. With that, I'm going to bring Ellen into the studio and also Spencer Drake. And we did open up with the Joan Jett song, Dare to be Different. Are you there, Ellen? Yes. Hi. How are you? Oh. Great. I thought I lost you again. And Spencer, are you there? Yes, I am. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. You know, Ellen, that um this whole, you know, documentary that you did, uh Dare to be Different that was on Showtime as well is about the radio station W L I R. Um, I wanted to have you tell our listeners a little bit more about that feature film and uh, a little bit about the music and the whole, you know, thing behind the movie, which I think is really important. Uh, sure. Um, so, so uh, our movie is a ninety-three, almost ninety-two point seven minute film we tried to get it but it's it's pretty close to that 92.7 was the frequency of WLIR back in the day um it's a, a a documentary film that's 
now on Showtime and on Showtime Demand. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, we will also be in some theaters. We just, um, we're just advertising now on social media about a theater in Brooklyn that we'll be showing the film at. And there'll be several other theaters across the country this summer that the film will be um, shown at. But we've uh, been at many film festivals, I think 11, and we won three awards uh, at some of these film festivals across the country. And um, so far it's been a great fun. Yeah, we'll be uh, Mm -hmm. coming out with a DVD shortly that will have um, bonus features, never before seen interviews, and we will also be, uh, you'll be available on transactional video on demand platforms and, you know, for streaming and um, for rental. So, uh, and, and for sure, download yeah. alone. So there's a lot, of, a lot of opportunities to see the film coming up in the future. Yeah, I, I want to put a note in here. I had, seen, I had seen the film, um, <sighs> Ellen, I had seen the film uh, at Tribeca Film Festival and that's why I brought this film on the show with you, uh, Holly. You know, so it was like in my life. I just want to tell you a little bit. In my life, I was born in Long Island. I was raised in rock and roll radio, and I still am, you know, a designer, major designer in music. But I had experience when I first worked at my first record label of doing A uh, and R radio promo and packaging albums. And one job I had to do was go to college radio, you know, and commercial radio. And what I found was really interesting. There were two stations that really interested me. There was WAER that Dan Near was a DJ up at Syracuse, which is very power. Mm-hmm. And the other one was WLIR. And I kind of, mm-hmm. being an indie guy, I really got attracted to LAR because of their format. It wasn't the typical commercial bullshit, straight-on straight format. They were experimenting, and uh, as you know, or the film brings out all those new groups that many of the stations never even brought out. And so that's my background with LAR, you know. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah so, uh, I had heard, Ellen, from so many people that saw that this was going to be on, that they had said, oh, my gosh, I know that radio station. Please thank Ellen so much for you know, bringing, doing this movie and doing this documentary because WLIR, I used to listen to it. I mean, they played people like The Clash, The Cure, Duran Duran, people that weren't being played. So what was your passion with WLIR? Because I know that you have a connection there with yourself with that. Yeah, so I I also grew up on, on Long Island, and um, mm-hmm. LIR was my radio station when I was growing up. And um, mm-hmm. I... You know, I I really connected with the station. I actually was a listener before they changed the format, and then when they changed the format, like my whole world changed as far as music taste, and um, it just really resonated with me and brought me to a whole new level of music and just um, going to different clubs and experiences of experiencing the music and concerts and being with like-minded people that really, you know, connected and really really resonated with the music and um, it really hit a lot of people on many personal levels. The radio station Mm -hmm. was really magical in a way. Just, um, you know, there's so many social media platforms now that uh, talk about WLAR or or fan pages dedicated to LAR. And it's amazing what people Mm -hmm. post about one little radio station that's mm. not even on the air anymore. You know, it's been off right. the air for like mm-hmm. 30 years, and people are still talking about this radio station like it was a family member. And for many people it was. It was just so close to their hearts. And so this documentary was really special to make, and um, it was a story that needed to be told because it was about Absolutely. a really important group of people yeah. that, yeah. Um, you know, did something to really – change musical history. I mean, I, you know, there are other, um, there were other stations at that time kind of dabbling in what LIR was doing, but nobody really did what LIR did. You know, they, they were, there was a station in LA called K-Rock, K-R-O-Q, and, Mm -hmm. you know, they're always Mm -hmm. claiming they were the ones that broke all this music, and that's not necessarily true. I mean, I think they were the West Coast and New York, uh, LAR was the East Coast, but LAR was the only station in the country at that time to completely go 
new music. K-Rock right. still played classic rock. All these other stations uh, still mm-hmm. play classic rock. LAR I mean, what, completely the other thing is their waved. format was so loose, right, Ellen? I mean, they had a very so loose, loose format. And it, and it gave them the opportunity, because they completely went 24-7 new music, it gave them the opportunity to put these songs in heavy rotation. So right. they were breaking the music faster than anyone else in the country because they had that ability to do that. And they were completely freeform. The um, owner of the station, Elton Spitzer at that time, gave Dennis McNamara and all of his DJs the freedom to go and get imports and just throw them on. And they had music meetings every week, and they would just listen to these new imported music, you know, imported songs that they would get from uh you know, labels across the, across the seas. They would get them, ship them out on on a, a, an airplane, and and the DJs would go pick them up at JFK Airport. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. And then they would have meetings, and they would sit and play it to you, you know, and be like, "What do you think, guys? Well, okay, let's try this one." And it's just it, you, you don't do that anymore on radio, no. right? No, <laughs> no, no way. No way. That's great. It's almost like that that movie Pirate Radio. You know how they went out into the middle yeah. of the ocean and they just played music that in England that that was banned, yeah, and they and that and I mean that's what this was. This played music that you know right. was really hard to get airplay. And uh, I yeah. wanted to say there's just so many so many different artists. Um, do you want to talk about some of the artists that you um, featured on the film? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I mean, we have uh, Nick Rhodes of Duran Duran, who was a huge fan mm-hmm. of WLAR. He really um, speaks um, so highly of Dennis and everyone and feels that LAR was definitely responsible for breaking them in the United States. Their very first tour, um, they came right to New York, and uh, their first visit, not even tour, it was their first visit, and they actually oh, yeah. played their first their first concert was at Spit in Malibu, their very first concert. And they went right from the airport to the radio station. And I love when he talks about that in the film. Um, it's really funny. <laughs> um, but we interviewed him. We interviewed Billy Idol, who is <laughs> delightful. He's so funny. And mm-hmm. uh, just, again, you know, a huge, huge fan. All these bands and artists really wanted to pay homage to the station. And they they couldn't wait to be interviewed. Um, Midger, um, Cy Kernan of the Fix, um, Chris and Tina of the Talking Heads, Joan Jett. Um, we got Chris Stein and Deborah Harry of Blondie. Um, it, it goes on and on. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of because <laughs> I don't have to listen for it. Yeah, the class. Tom Bailey. The class. And the um, yeah. We have Tom Bailey. Um, we have... Um, uh, I don't have to listen in front of me, but there's so many. Anyway, when you were interviewing these people, which ones really stuck out to you and were, you know, really fun? You heard some really great stories from them about W, you know, the radio station WLIR. Um, well, um, Gosh, I mean, like I said, you know, Nick had a great story about first coming to mm-hmm. um, the United States. Um, Joan Jett has some really fabulous stories as well about, you know, her connection. She was mm-hmm. very close with Dennis. And um, um, she she and the Ramones and the Talking Heads, they were like LAR's house bands. So those were the New York bands mm-hmm. that came out of the CBG movement. And they would be at you know, up at the radio station all the time. Howard Jones was a delight. He couldn't say enough about LIR. Um, we interviewed Jim Kerr of Simple Minds, um, uh, Annabella Lewin of Bow Wow. Um, the, oh, um, Book of Love were delightful. They are a New York-based band, and they would actually listen to LIR and they were going to the clubs when they were first starting out, and LAR was their radio station. So it's really interesting. Um, Fred Snyder of the B-52s we interviewed, um, Mike Score of A Flock of Seagulls, um, Lowell Tolhurst of The Cure, great fan, Dave Wakeling of The English Beat. Um, so I think you got the gist of it. We had some yeah. really great yeah. talent. Oh, yeah. um, and yeah. then a lot of important 
music industry people like Seymour Stein of Sire Records, who actually, mm-hmm. you know, would listen to LAR and he would actually call the radio station when he would hear a song and be like, who is that band? I want to book that. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I want to find that's that. great. You know? And so mm-hmm. that's how he got a lot of his artists from LAR. It's amazing. Um, we interviewed um, Mark Goodman, actually, of MTV, who's not in the film, but he mm-hmm. um, he will be on the bonus features. But he he and so many other people definitely think that you know MTV was very very influenced by LAR. They were both in New York, and the people at MTV used to listen to LAR and see what that was, see what they were you know playing. And you know that there was a big connection of when uh, uh, MTV first came out. And WLAR, and they were both based in New York, and they were both, you know, so um, LAR had a lot of influence on on what was happening at that time. And, well, and a lot of the, mm-hmm. a lot of the groups, Ellen, a lot of the groups that are that were on there, like you mentioned, Ramones, Talking Heads, Joan Jett, etc. Mm-hmm. I designed for, uh, you know, in my life, so it was very close to me uh, what that station was doing, you know. Uh, uh, right. Uh, I mean, especially, uh, I think the Bad Reputation album literally springboarded because of your station, you know, Joan Jett. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, no doubt about that. Um, You know what I really like about about it is that it really got a lot of the bands, like you said, that really needed the airplay and that a lot of stations weren't going to play. And I had had that experience with bringing – people over from Prague, you know, trying to get people to play Prague radio over here in the USA. And so it's a very similar situation. It's like they, there are a lot of stations that wouldn't play it. So it's like that's great that WLIR would play this music that, you know, a lot of other stations weren't taking the risk or, or you know, the, the you know, step forward to play it. And it was amazing. I've heard from so many people that remember that station, like you said, all the tribute pages and everything. Um, I wanted to say if you are tuning in and you missed the beginning of the show or want to listen to it afterwards, it will be available on um, iTunes afterwards and also on Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio immediately afterwards as a download. And if you'd like to call in, our number is 347-677-1036, and there is a chat room open. Um, Spencer, did you invite um, Dennis to call in? Yes, I did. I tried getting a hold of him on Facebook and email. He never responded. I've known Dennis for okay. years, by the way, but I, I, he might be. Who knows where he is right now? You know, but I, okay. I've known Dennis for years. Yeah, I try. Yeah, Holly and Ellen. I try to get Dennis on because I know he's a big cog. Okay. In the, Holly and I know he's a big cog in the movie. I want to ask yeah. Ellen about the other people that were part of this, um, you know, this whole project um, and the parts that they played. I know that you had um, other people that you were working with when you did this film. Uh, you want to talk a little yeah. bit about the crew that were behind it? Yeah. Sure, sure. Um, well, Roger Sanders is another producer, so I'm I'm a produ- co-producer with Roger, and um, mm-hmm. then actually my brother came in in the last six months, and he oh, wow. helped a lot with the writing of the story. My brother's a a, a playwright and a screenwriter, and um, wow. so he came in nice. and helped us with the script and. Um, we had um, a fabulous uh, director of photography, Greg, Greg Daniels, and we had about three or four amazing editors on the film. And uh, the crew has been wonderful. We had a crew here in L.A., and then we had a crew in New York, and then we had to hire a crew uh, overseas in England to help us when we shot Paul McGinnis, um, oh, sure. the manager for you, too, the old manager for you, too. So, yeah, I mm-hmm. couldn't be happier. We had such a great crew, and um, it was so much fun. Every time we did a shoot, we just had the best time. Um, I had different PAs come on, and they couldn't wait to meet all the artists, and it was really sure. fun. So. Oh, yeah. It's like a dream, a dream <laughs> all these different people. Um, let's get out yeah. the website really quickly. Um, 
you have those websites that you want to give out real quick for the film and everything? Oh, yeah, sure. So our official website is daretobedifferentthemovie.com. Um, and we're also on Facebook, and we're on Twitter at DTBD mm-hmm. the movie, and then Instagram at DTBD the movie. So yeah, and Facebook and is they've got a lot of new rules. wave. Facebook is yeah. new wave. Dare to be different. Yep. Um, the official name of our film. So Ellen, yeah. when great artwork too with how, that. How long? How mm-hmm. long did it take for oh, the movie? You. When does the movie start? You know what I mean. When did you start to? Think about creating this movie, and how long did it take oh, to put together? I started, I started this in. Uh, I started from the very beginning in 2010, so it took me seven years. Oh. Wow! <laughs> yeah. Ah, wow! Yeah, that's great. That's incredible. A real labor of love, and uh, you know, we had to. We're, we're an independent film company, so we had to raise money, and mm-hmm. we have uh, investors in the film, and. You know, it's not like where a big studio picks it up and takes it over and it turns it over in a few months. Sure. This was a real labor of love. And, you know, I don't think it should have been made any other way because it's really a heartfelt uh, project. Uh, on You know, it's got a lot of personal connections. So it's um, everyone was really happy when I, you know, told the staff of the, the LAR staff, that I was doing this, they were happy that it was coming from a fan, you know, because they knew that there would be a lot of heart heart and soul in the film. And uh, I think I I I put it in there. I think people um, really feel it when they they leave the theater. They really felt like, wow, either, wow, I really remembered LAR, or wow, um, like for somebody in Texas, when we were there at the festival, you know, people were like, wow, now I can, I can imagine what it must have been like to grow up on Long Island and have this radio station. That must have been so awesome. Thanks for <laughs> yeah, sharing exactly. this experience with us. And that's what we wanted. You know, we wanted everyone yeah. around the world actually to experience what we experienced. Right. You know. So. Mm-hmm. Well, what, can you tell us about, there was a lot of legal stuff that went on on the folding up of the label. Could you tell us a little bit about the ending? It was a tragic ending with the legalities, right, and a lot of stuff. Yeah, it was. Um, so there was um, there was an owner before Elton Spitzer. His name was John Rieger. And we explained it in the film um, in a very light and funny way with our, with the cartoons. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, basically, you know, he and his wife, uh, who was ill, um, they apparently illegally subletted the radio station and the FCC found out about that. And there was somebody who was not very happy with the station that kind of got the FCC involved in that. And, um, they were threatening to take away the license and there was, uh, an interim license, there was a temporary license, there were all these different licenses that were involved. But um, ultimately what happened was, um, you know, Elton came on as a partner with John Rieger and really wanted to make the station successful. And that's one of the reasons why they switched over to the new music format, because they were in the biggest media market in the world competing with you know, these big mega stations of New York City, and they right. really needed mm-hmm. to make money. That's why they decided to go with this new format, because nobody else was doing it. And they took a big risk, because if it would have failed, they would have gone, you know, bankrupt. But the station ended up making a ton of money at that time, because it was that's so great. successful. Yeah, that's but great. unfortunately, mm-hmm. the money went to a lot of legal fees. So a lot of these DJs are talking about how they never had any money in the bank and whatnot because Elton was going to Washington all the time trying to fight for the license and Mm, spending all this money on legal fees. It was just a really unfortunate situation, and eventually in 1987, the station was – the license was transferred over to Jared Broadcasting, which was the company that um, took over the license at that time. And that's when they tried to keep the format going and called the station WDRE, meaning shortcut for DARE, um, 
but um, you know, it, some of the DJs stayed for a little while. Um, we didn't get into that part of the story because that's a whole other story mm-hmm. and it's a whole other company. And oh, sure. It went in the whole. The station eventually went in a different direction. You know, they went into the '90s and the grunge era and whatnot because it was. Um, but so we really wanted to focus on the heart and soul of the '80s, which was WLIR. So. Um, and that, that five-year window was so important from when they completely went new music uh, until the, the demise of the station. So, um, oh, And wow. LIR was playing, they were playing these bands, you know, before the station transferred over. We didn't, we kind of talked about that, but we didn't go into it in detail. But they were playing, you know, Blondie and the Ramones and all the CBGB's bands in the late 70s when they were coming of age. You know, it's not like mm-hmm. they just one day flipped the switch and all these bands came on. They were yeah. they yeah. were mixing those bands in with their old format, just like the other stations were. But what made them so unique is that in 1982, they completely switched over and nobody else did that. And that's when unique one-hit, one-off songs came that we put some in the movie, but not all of them. And so what we want to do is we're trying to develop a soundtrack with these one-off rarity songs that nobody ever played. I mean, there's so many of them, and those are the real oh, yeah. gems of WL. You know, right. those are the real oh, gems. So. This was your first um, feature film that you did, too, from what yes. I remember reading. And uh, you yes. had done other projects um, with concerts. You produced concerts and stuff. How did you um, get into the film industry? That What did this what was your background? How I know you studied it at UCLA and also uh, in New York. You took screenwriting classes. I'm reading, but how did how did yeah, this I come to be? Something. Where you decided this? I, yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I I didn't take screenwriting classes in New York. My actual um, my actual major from college was um, was um, like nutrition and so I'm actually a registered oh, wow. dietitian. That's my, yeah. <laughs> That's so I've been a nutritionist for many, many years. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I've been giving everybody on the set great. nutrition uh therapy. <laughs> That's great. awesome. Yeah. But yeah, so I've been in a private practice for years and worked as a nutritionist for years, but um my whole family's in entertainment and um I originally wanted to do this project with my brother and he was too busy so he suggested I do it on my own. And, um, yeah, I just – I produced a lot of things in the past. And so pr- producing is in my blood. And, um, you know, being a director, though, this was the first time director, film director um, film for me. So it was really exciting for me to do. I learned a lot. And some of it just came really naturally. Um, but I can't wait to do my next film, to be honest. <laughs> I oh, great. Oh, we want to hear. We want to hear what you're currently working on, Ellen. <laughs> what are you working on now? Well, I can um, only imagine. I, I, can't really, <laughs> I can't really say. There's one project that um, I'm uh, hopefully getting involved with, and it's actually another New York-based type of documentary film. Um, and then I'm creating uh, my own film. So I can't give it away yet, but there's some exciting things hopefully coming in the future. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, we are so excited. We definitely want to have you back when uh, yeah, you get definitely. that done. But, you know, oh, thank you. such great reviews. No, I mean, this has been reviewed by so many people, and I've seen so many uh, – reviews online and all the feedback <coughs> people about the showtime and uh it's fantastic ellen um how thank does it you. feel when thank you, you read so what people are saying about you yeah and about this film it's it's uh it's really exciting i mean i'm just so happy mm-hmm. that so many people love the film um we have gotten phenomenal reviews um I mean, we're doing great on Rotten Tomatoes, which is like, yay! Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, no, no squashes. Um, and we, um, I mean, Rolling Stone and like all these amazing, um, yeah, you know, people have been interviewing. Great. And just all the feedback we've been getting from people, um, emails and posts on social media, and um, it's 
it's been remarkable and just also just so wonderful to see that so many people love the film because that was our goal, you know, that was our yeah. ultimate goal was to make a film that, that everyone can love. And, you know, with this, with this time that we're living in now, there's so much darkness and we wanted to bring some sunshine mm-hmm. into everyone's lives. 80s was just a great time and everyone yeah. can look back at that time and just, you know, smile and just remember, have so many great memories and it, you know, it just brings you to your heart, and that's what we wanted to do for people. So I think. Hey, listen, Ellen, tell us a little bit about Dennis McNamara because he's a lot in the movie. Uh, tell us a little bit about him. Dennis, so Dennis and I over the years have become very close friends. Uh, I consider Dennis family. He's just such a fabulous person, and he is the heart and soul of the movie. Dennis is our main character. He, uh-huh. um, you know, was the program director at the time, and he really was the, you know, the captain of the ship, so to speak. Um, He had a phenomenal staff of creative, like-minded DJs that just wanted to play great new music. But Dennis was really the one who went overseas, connected with all of the the, um, managers and agents and talent overseas, and he's the one that really got the ball rolling and made this happen. Some yeah. people call him the Christopher Columbus of new music, you know, and he created this gateway to <laughs> oh, America. Oh, are you getting that so funny? That's yeah, that funny. would make sense. Yeah, yeah so he's he's so, um, you know, he, and, and everyone that came and spoke about him um, did it with, you know, a lot of love and really wanting to pay homage to him and the station because they all knew what, what Dennis did. And he had so many great relationships with people. And Joan Jett inducted him into the Long Island Music Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're very close. And he's close with many of these people. He was close with Paul McGinnis, who was U2's manager. And um, he always told the story. They used to call him the fifth member of U2 um, mm-hmm. back in the day. And he would share some really fun stories about U2 and, um, just so many of these artists that, you know, yeah. respect him. They, there's so much respect for Dennis. Um, it's, it's, it was so great to be able to uh, document someone like him. So I was really proud of that. You know, what I found really amazing is looking, you know, I'm looking at the actual website that you really list everyone that was involved in it. And there were so much talent involved in this. I mean, it blew mm-hmm. Oyster Cult involved in it. Um, yeah, know, we wanted big, to share so many old... people. Yeah, mm-hmm. we have some of the um, artists that were from the old format that we interviewed, uh, Mickey Marcello of The mm-hmm. Good Rats and Eric Blue of Oyster Cult. We wanted them to tell their story about, you know, how – LAR was important to them, but then when the switch switched over to the new music, how that affected them, um, because there was an effect on them, because there were bands that were being played on the old LAR format that um, kind of got the boot, because that was no longer the format. Billy Joel was a huge um, uh, part of the old LAR uh, station. He would go up to the station all the time. Um, LIR, so to speak, broke Billy Joel in the New York area, and he played on their softball team. He played with the DJs on their. There's pictures of Billy Joel on their softball team. So he was that close with 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 the station. And then, you know, when they switched over, they had to say goodbye to Billy Joel's music, and he got really mad. I think he and Dennis didn't speak for years because wow. he was upset. That you know, but that was it. They couldn't. Billy Joel wasn't fitting that format, you know. So yeah, yeah. it was a hard mm-hmm. decision for them. But then you had the Cure, also, right? I mean, the Cure was another group yep. that was really in there, right? The Cure. Mm-hmm. Yep. So they were part of the new format. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know what I wanted to also talk about were some of the festivals. You have a, a, a tab here that says festivals. Let's um, talk a little bit about. That and where that's, you know, what that has to do with. Um, the different well, festivals well, the for the past, film? Yeah, mm-hmm. so we, we had our world premiere at Tribeca, 
uh, in New York, mm-hmm. which um, is one of the top film festivals in the in the world, and we had uh, a fabulous um, first screening there with a concert that featured um, Dave Wakeling of the English Beat, and it featured um, um, uh, a flock of seagulls and another band there. But anyway, so we had three artists that played, um, three bands. Oh, and the alarm, of course, the alarm. We had three bands playing after our first world premiere, and then I think we had like five or six screenings there. They were all sold out, all sold out. Mm -hmm. And then we later on came back to New York a year later and appeared at the Gold Coast Film Festival. Um, We won an award there for um, the best documentary film. We were in the downtown L.A. Film Festival where we won the, um, another award there for um, favorite uh, documentary, uh, as well as um, uh, we were in Annapolis. We were at the Big Eddie Film Festival, Dallas. Dallas. We were at um, Hot Springs Documentary Film Festival, Sound Unseen. Um, we were also overseas. We were in... Um, uh, the Sound Unseen Film Festival was over, um, and yeah, I think that was it. There's about ten or eleven film festivals we were at. Wow, that's great. But we won, yeah, we won three awards, and um, so yeah, I think that's pretty good. <laughs> and we were no, really amazingly. Mhm. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just, interesting, Ellen. Today, you don't have those radio stations. You know, you don't have. There's still in different formats but no nothing was is nothing like LIR because like you said or we said it's free form and none of the stations in New York anyway none of the stations in New York have that you know that thing right Ellen you know what I'm saying yeah no absolutely absolutely And that is missed. That is really missed listening on, on, on the air. You know what I mean? So I can see why people would have a thirst and hunger <laughs> to see this movie. You know what I mean? And one can say, oh, my God, I wish I could have heard this station, right, Ellen? I wish I could have heard this station, right? Yeah, I mean, that's what they, like, we, you know, like I said, we were in Florida, you know, at the Ed Cultura Festival, and we were in Dallas, and um, when I was there, you know, we did a lot of Q&As, and in Annapolis and all these places that were not New York, you know, and, uh, and Los Angeles even. And people were, were like, you know, were amazed at what went on. And they really appreciated the movie because it really showed like what a difference it was and um, how amazing it was, you know, and they just, they they were really happy to be able to experience that. So I mean, when I worked on radio, I found I like to talk to college radio, you know, and if you knew college radio, and still is today, college radio is totally free format. College radio is very free format. Oh, yeah, that's where it all began. That's yeah, and so when I, when I was working radio, I always wanted to go to college. I wanted to talk to the motherfucker. But then LIR was one of the few, maybe one of the two progressive, what we call progressive radio stations that I wanted to talk, and I felt they were the same way. You know, Ellen, they were the same way. Yeah. And that was that they was the scary. key. So yeah, an indie guy like them. me or Seymour Stein, I mean, I were, Seymour was like a mentor with me. I designed a lot for him. I mean, we were the type of people that would go to that station. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, what's happening, right? You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, um, absolutely. I and you know, college radio is and was and is still so important. Um, but yeah, I mean, LAR just was a whole. It was a commercial station, so it had you know a, a lot more ability to re- reach a lot more people. Right, so, right. But it oh, was right. very, right. very similar to um, that kind of a format. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, the not only was the music important with LIR, but it was also the whole experience, you know, the DJs and getting to know them 
everyone got to know the DJs on a personal level, they would be able to call the radio station and speak to them, which you can't do nowadays. That's right. And, um, I used to like I used to like calling up LIR because I could talk to somebody. You know, if I if I had a really hard day in the office, I would look forward to calling LIR because I could talk to a DJ, Ellen. Right? I mean, I could talk to them. They were like real people, and that was not. And you know this. This was not like progressive radio. Nobody could like talk like that. Right? They were like a family. They were Absolutely. like a family. Right? Right. And they told you what was happening, where to go, what was happening yeah. that night, what club they were going to be at. You can actually meet them at the club, and they'd be, you know, announcing yeah. something or or giving stuff away. They always used to give things away, and then oh, there were they, of always, course, had the Screamer yeah. of the Week. And then they had the mm-hmm. Screamer of the Week every week where you would call in and vote for your favorite new song, which was always great because yeah. that's, you know, how a lot of music was discovered from us calling in and saying, hey, I really like that song. The DJs would pick their favorite import and then they would play it on the Screamer shows and then we would vote on Thursdays and whatever song got picked for Screamer of the Week, it got played in very heavy rotation and it had that that scream every yeah. time you heard it. <laughs> and I did that Screamer of the Week. But a lot of, you know, Popular songs and a lot of artists were broken because of the Screamer of the Week show. So that was a very unique show. Wow. You know, I want to ask, how did you find out about um, this radio? How did you find this radio station? Was this a radio station that all your friends were listening to? Oh, yeah, this is like... Um, this should be interesting. Yeah, like I... Well, I was listening to the station before it changed format. So LIR was always mm-hmm. a progressive station. It played um, kind. Of, it, it played music that was always a notch above what the other stations were doing. Like if they, it, let's say, you know, a regular rock and roll radio station was playing, you know, a, a band, mm-hmm. LIR would play the B side of the band. You know, so it was. Um, they were always doing something a little bit different. But then when it switched to new music, yeah, like all of a sudden we were all talking about it. I was in high school when it switched over, so it was like everyone was like, LAR, oh, my God, you know. And so <laughs> I think it was a lot of word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I wanted to ask you, what kind of music were you listening to personally at home? Like did you run out and buy a lot of the music that you – was it hard to find it or – was that the reason why you listened to the radio? Um, well, I I would well, okay. So, what I I was one of those kids that um, <laughs> would because I, I I graduated high school in 1983 and then I went upstate to college upstate New York. Mm-hmm. So we didn't get LIR upstate New York. So I was one of those kids that would actually uh, record. The radio station. I would buy sixty and ninety minute cassette tapes, and I would oh, stick a little tape recorder <laughs> next to the radio, and I would just let it play because I didn't care. I loved the commercials. I the commercials were always so fun and and creative. And then I didn't mind listening to everything. Like I wanted it to be like when I was away that I was actually listening to the station because then I felt like it was I was at home. So I would bring mm-hmm. like a whole suitcase filled with like these 90-minute tapes up to college. And, um, yeah, when I came home, I would go to like the, the local record stores that would sell, um, you know, there was like slip discs and some of these other stores that would sell these imports and, and all these LIR um, records that we were able to buy. Um, I was buying tapes and then, um, you know, when the late 80s hit, then the CDs came out. I remember that because I think my first CD was, um, was um, what was my first CD? Oh, it was, um, I can't think. But anyway, it was an LIR um, CD. And um, it was, uh, yeah, so I was, you know, we were buying cassette tapes back then and albums. And um, it was that's how it was. But, yeah, I would tape the radio station and just listen to it when I was away in college. Oh, that's great. I mean, I collected records. You know, uh, Ellen and Holly, I collected, I was a big record collector. Like, you know, I, 
you know, as I was working with artists like Lou Reed or whoever, you, you find out their real life, they, they were listening to music, collecting records, or, and I was like that, and I always wanted to key in to those stations like LIR that were hip. I call them hip stations. They, they would not bring the boring music on. They would bring some new group that I, I haven't heard or would like to hear, you know, and know about. So the knowledge was really big with LAR. I mean, and if you lived in New York, and as you know, Ellen, you lived on Long Island like I did. I was brought up there. It's like you want, you knew these stations, right? You knew these stations, all of them in the area. And so LAO is a key to new music, right? That, I mean, that was the whole thing. So if you were a real music buff, you would know that station, right? Exactly, exactly. And um, especially if you went, like, we, I would go to a lot of the clubs. I went to the Malibu and Spit and some of these other clubs, 007, um, Paris, New York, Camouflage. That sometimes we would drive over to Queens and go to Camouflage on Bell Boulevard. And these were all like LIR clubs. So the way they worked, a lot of them, is on certain nights, they were LIR nights where they played new wave music. And on other nights, it was a disco. So, like, for instance, Spit, which was in Levittown, was Uncle Sam's. And so you'd enter uh, on one side of the street for Uncle Sam's, and then when it was Spit night, I think it was Tuesdays and Saturdays or Tuesdays and Sundays, then you go around the corner and you enter on the Spit side. <laughs> and uh, that's when they had the new music playing. And that was, that was such a fun club. I used to go there a lot, and we would dance, and we had the best time. And, you know, you get Mm -hmm. dressed up. You know, you get dressed looking. The new wave fashion was really, you know, something, and I just remember wearing, like, a lot of red and black. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh, that's so funny. And and the hair was fucked up and with a lot of hairspray, and, you know, I just remember the – the sweatshirt dresses with, I had a black sweatshirt dress with a thick red, like, vinyl belt and these big hanging earrings and red lipstick. <laughs> and the total new wave look. And that's Ella, you, you sound like B-52s. You sound like B-52s. Yeah, that's, what, that's what we all looked like, you know. We all yep. dressed and that's how we went out. And it was a whole different evening. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's funny. That's you know, great. you know what's funny though. I a lot of the music and a lot of the fashion is coming back now. Um, it, is. it is. You're right. You know, which is amazing. Exactly. It's like yep. it's timeless and it comes back. It's uh, it's just such a Absolutely. iconic moment. And you know what's you know what's funny, Ellen. I wanted to say was a lot of the bands that are in this film are also. Um, going on tour now, you know, and are still playing yeah. and are still going out and doing everything. So that's right. what's amazing too to me. A lot of them are a lot of them are doing new 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 albums now. So I mean that's mm-hmm. amazing that they're still creating music and um yeah and, and they're filling up they're filling up arenas with, you know, some of these bands. Like I just saw Depeche Mode here in LA and I think they played at the Hollywood Bowl. They had a couple of nights, and it was pretty amazing. Um, and, Blondie's hot, I mean, Ellen. Blondie. Blondie's hot right now. Blondie's hot. Joan's hot. They're all hot. Billy Joan Idol's Jed, hot. Joan Jett, Blondie. Duran, Duran yeah. I saw them at the Hollywood Bowl. They're also really hot. So, oh. yeah, they're still touring, these guys. You know, God bless them. I hope they keep touring. They will. <laughs> they will. You know, you know what I wanted to ask you um, when you were doing the movie and you started to hear the music and everything. Was that like, did it take you back? Did it just take you back oh, to what absolutely. you like? I could just imagine, you know, that would just yeah, when I be was, something that would mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, just, when I was listening um, songs that I wanted in the movie, I mean. There, first of all, I had to cut so many. There was I started with hundreds in a list. I mean, and so we had to cut it down to you know the fifty uh-huh. that we have. But it took a lot because I have so many favorites. Um, but uh-huh. yeah, just listening to the music and 
cutting that in with all the scenes that we did. It's just, it's, we really, I really wanted to capture, you know, what I experienced and what everybody experienced. And yeah, just make people like, just really feel, feel it, you know? And I, you know, I, I wanted people not only to watch the movie, but to feel the movie. And that's mm. what I think we accomplished with, with many people. You did. You did exactly Oh, yeah. That. I think so, too. Exactly. Well, you know, what yeah. I wanted to say was, since um, we're running close to the end here, and I want to okay. be able to play the uh, song that we're ending with, yep. and uh, yep. this, is so, this is just such a great way to end the, you know, week listening to such great stuff. I wanted to ask you, Ellen, was there anything more that you feel like you want to let our listeners know about and everything? Um, you mean about the film? Yeah, absolutely. And what did you want to oh. say to everyone before we end our show today? Because I didn't want to keep everybody too long because I know we're going a little bit over. I didn't want to interrupt oh, okay. everybody. Okay. We just wanted to thank you know, everybody for, you know, everyone's support. We had a lot of supporters that, um, you know, helped us with some crowdfunding and spreading the word on social media and seeing the film and telling people about it. Um, really appreciate everyone's support. And, you know, the, there will still be opportunities um, to see the film. It's still on Showtime. And if you don't get Showtime, you'll be able to see it in certain theaters across the country. And we'll be on Amazon and other platforms where you can download it. And we're going to have our DVD available with the bonus features. And we're we're working on soundtrack. So there's a lot of opportunities to still see the film. And um, believe it or not, people want to buy the DVD. Like you would think nowadays that's not – people want to own this because it's it's like a souvenir, you know, of their it history. Is. It is. Yeah. Of their, uh, yeah. So they want it. And so we we want to give them something special with the DVD. But, oh, um, so yeah, just thanking, thank you, everyone, for all your support. And we're so glad that you enjoyed the film. Oh, no, absolutely. We love it. And, you know, I want to ask, is the soundtrack going to be available or is that available now already? Yeah, good point. We are in the works. We are working on it. So yeah. cross your fingers that. This will happen sooner than later. Okay, well, Holly, before website, I go guys. off, I want to I want to mention something. Um, I want to give the first plug to Seymour Stein's new book out called Siren Song. Seymour was a big mentor in my life, and we're going to do a book review. Holly's getting a copy. I already got mine, and we'll probably do a book review on it. But it's a fantastic book. Okay. Wonderful. And it's one of those books you cool. got to buy. But we mentioned Seymour, and we love Seymour, so uh, we had to bring Seymour, that in. Yes. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great, love it. You know Thank what I you. wanted to say about the soundtrack? Um, as I was saying, that that'll be a really fantastic soundtrack. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, oh, yeah, if you, and I want, we want to put we want to put not only the um, songs in the film on there, but some rarities that you can't get anywhere oh, else. Yeah. You can't even find. So, should be oh, a lot of fun. Absolutely. Excellent. And I wanted to say to everyone, if you go to the website, you can see the music uh, that was on. Where was it? I saw all the music listed that was in the film. It, I think it was. You can see on the uh, you movie can see, site. Yeah. Yeah. You you can see everything on our website. You can see the trailer. You can look at all the talent we interviewed. You can learn about all the. You can see all the media that we, uh, all the write-ups, all the festivals we've been at. And again, it's daretobedifferentthemovie.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being here. It's Friday, guys. Please don't drink and drive. And uh, with that, we're going to be ending our show with another song that was part of the movie, which is Heartbreak Beat, I believe that's what it's called. Mm-hmm, uh, by the psychedelics. And, yep, and we're going to be ending with that. And uh, with that, you know, thank you so much for being here. And thank you, Spencer, for being here. We love too, you, my Holly. Co-host in New Great York. to be on yeah. again and next week. Next All right, week. and Ellen, thank you so much. Yeah, we'll be back next Friday. <laughs> and, uh, oh, Wednesday, Wednesday, I'm sorry. I'm starting my Wednesday shows again. I'll oh, be yeah, back the on Wednesday. the air. Oh, yeah, Wednesday, yes. 
Tell us with uh, Sauce Text Records, and uh, I'll be doing some other really fun shows coming up with the 40th anniversary of Darkness on the Edge of Town with Frank Stefanko and uh, quite a few other people. I haven't gotten that all to you yet since that. I'll be getting that to okay. you. I'm just confirming everyone. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, definitely. And, Ellen, thank you so much for being here today, and everyone have a great thank weekend. Thank you for having You're so welcome. Thank you. Oh, no.